You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Let's continue our budget 2020-2021 coverage now with Martin Ackerman, who's Chief Economist and Advisory Partner at Citadel in Cape Town. Quite refreshing to see a bit of bravery from an ANC politician, Martin. Yes, Lindsay, I agree with you. Um, you know, everybody was looking for a little bit of more political will and, uh, and political muscle. Um, we also know that the Minister of Finance, Tito Mbouini, is probably the one that, that can do it and get away with it. Yes. Um, he's, he's very different compared to some of the others. Um, so, you know, I think there's been a lot of things in this budget that the market generally didn't expect. And that's probably why after, you know, the market seems to, to be um, liking some of it at least. Um, the fact that we haven't seen any tax increases, as an example, despite, you know, being in a very fiscal tight position. Um, but my biggest concern is that, you know, yes, we showed muscle. We addressed the elephant in the room, which is the wage bill. Yes. Um, and we plugged in a number saying that in the next three years, we're going to cut $160 billion from this, which will obviously make a huge difference. And it's exactly the kind of things that the rating agencies wants to hear. Um, but my concern is, you know, it's one thing putting that number in the budget. It's the other thing to make it a reality, yes. uh, especially if you haven't met with the other stakeholders. Uh, so I think there's quite a challenge ahead in terms of succeeding and, and, and getting to these numbers that's been presented today. So I think the, the, the story is a good story, uh, but the story is not giving us any idea in terms of the underlying risk of not getting the story done and dusted. Yeah, I've just thought of an analogy immediately. And there was around about six weeks ago, I think it was, there was a, a peace plan mooted in the Middle East. And unfortunately, there were three vested interests. There's lots of vested interests, but only two of the three main players were present and drew up the plan. And I think that the unions might have something to say about the public sector wage bill and the culling and the cutting. Exactly. What I'm saying is, you know... Um Gusato actually had a, a release just after the budget, so they were well prepared for this. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, my, my point is to say that putting in that number is almost as assuming, well, we're going to get this, because that's the only way you can then get to the end of the framework with the numbers that's been presented today. Um, and the risk is that we don't get any of it, or we get much less than that, although that will still be a benefit making some progress. But it's very different from, for example, increasing that putting in a 25 billion inflow because that will happen most likely in the next year. So the budget uh, speech and the talk and the, the message were more muscle doing the right things. A government that's at least got a, a reform that's reform minded. Um, but my real concern is still whether we will be able to execute on it. You know, the, the, they had four points at the end of their presentation Um that they see as the biggest risk to to the fiscal framework. The one is uh, a low growth environment. Now, you know, I think that he's going to be with us for a little bit longer and the global environment is probably turning into a headwind instead of a tailwind. The successful turnaround of ESCOM, which I think is still a major risk, obviously getting the wage negotiations done and dusted and agreed with, with the, the unions, which, um, like I said, they haven't started with. And the last one was something about the road accident fund. But it's three of those risks that can derail the budget, in my mind, 
it's got a, a quite a big likelihood of realizing that just shows how difficult it's going to be to actually implement the numbers as it's been presented today. It's very interesting, actually. Now you've said that, and now I've been through the numbers and I've looked at them and I've spoken to other people about them, but now they're sort of standing back and looking at it. It's very, very simple to me what this budget is. It's a good budget. It's a brave budget. It's a budget that is refreshing compared to previous budgets under previous administrations. But with no tax increases, I mean, if you look at all, all theory and all previous experiences in South Africa, tax rises don't bring in revenue. In fact, they're regressive and they're anti-growth. So there were no tax rises. That's the first thing. And Moody's will like that. The other thing is cutting the expenditure is exactly what the rating agencies and external influencers in in the form of money also want. So to me, this is a Moody's budget. Yeah, that's that's a good You can call it a Moody's budget. I think it's exactly that. It is um, saying what what needs to be said now uh, to probably just avoid a downgrade in in in, in March, um, but yet again, you know, that will just put us down the line for uh, November this year. So if we don't see, you know, real action uh, in terms of cutting jobs and and getting that wage bill lower, then the risk is still there. Because remember, you know. If, the numbers, the metrics that's been presented today is, is still increasing all the way. Uh, it is only the deficit that's coming off a very high 6% down to 57 uh, And those numbers, as they printed today, is, is definitely in the red zone for sub-investment grade. So the numbers are you know, still suggesting that, that we should actually be downgraded. Um, but I do think you know, Moody's got this kind of challenge to say, well, how can you downgrade a government that's reform-minded, that's talking about doing the right things, like you said, probably more so than any previous uh, financial minister over the past couple of years, um, and then just tipping them over the, the cliff or over the point into, into sub-investment grade? So that will probably be that's a very tough decision for them, and they will probably give us more time. Um, but it will just bring us back to the point of del- delivery. We, we need to see that to actually then earn uh, the, the the patience that's been given to us through Moody's um, to actually stay investment great in, in the current environment. Okay, we've talked uh, philosophically about the budget, and yeah, that's a refreshing uh, a change from looking at the numbers, but we have to look at the numbers. And what were the numbers that really stood out for you, whether it be deficits, whether it be GDP forecasts, whether it be debt-to-GDP ratios, or what? What did you like and what didn't you like? Yeah, I think the, the, the big concern is still that, you know, um, Debt to GDP is growing um, now, end of the framework, 71 point something percent. It is slightly less than the number that we had in October, that was about 80 percent. But this growth in debt obviously is going to ripple effect in terms of your interest payment. So interest payment is growing around about uh, uh, 12 percent. It's the highest growing item in the budget, Um, you know, and it is just as a percentage of the rest of the budget, the amount of interest we pay is just creeping up. And the, the shocking reality is that if we do get downgraded, you know, interest payment because of high interest rates will just jump right up to the second highest in the budget, which is education. So that is that is still a concern, despite everything we said, despite this potential cut of 160 billion from the wage bill, this interest component is still growing in the background. And that's taking away money somewhere else, especially if you don't increase taxes. So we're seeing a decline in crucial spending, which is healthcare, education, mm. uh, social development. 
So, and the minister alluded to that. He said, well, you know, maybe now for the next couple of years, we need to cut back. Um, and then we'll get back into a position where we can uh, um, attract the right nurses and teachers and what have you. But if we can't fix that in the next three years, you know, cutting back on that kind of social spend today will actually imply a much worse uh, decade to come for SA if you don't spend the same amount on on the crucial things like education, um, infrastructure, and healthcare. So, so that the, the whole debt number stood out as a, a quite a big concern on the one hand, and then I guess you know on the other hand was the fact that um, it's very likely if if we can execute on this in the next three years, the elephant in the room is not going to be the wage bill, but then the debt levels. Um, it boils down to that. Any mention of NHI, any mention of State Bank, any mention of Sovereign Wealth Fund, all three things have been brought up before, not the NHI in the State of the Nation address of a couple of weeks ago, but certainly State Bank and Sovereign Wealth yes. Fund. Did, they, did he mention it at all? Yeah, yeah. so he did refer to, to the, um, the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund uh, and looking at funding of about $30 billion, uh, over the framework. Uh, with money potentially coming off the auction of the, um, you know, the, 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 the licenses for the network connectivity. Um, and the state bank was mentioned as well that it will fall under the normal bank uh, act. So, so the reality is, you know, that's been part of the, um, the deliverables that's been said during the last ANC conference. So it is part of the promise. And they will keep talking about it, whether we can do it or not, or whether it's taking, you know, five, 10 or 15 years to deliver. Um, I can't still understand why we need a, a state bank. You know, we, we've got the post office bank. We've got a lot of commercial banks that's uh, well capitalized, that's tapping into the lower income market. Uh, I would rather say that, you know, given the track record of government, don't start another SAE right now, even if it will be regulated by yes. by the same regu regulator. Rather just work with private sector and see if you can find a solution there. Um, that's on the bank uh, bank bank issue. On the sovereign wealth fund, I think it's a great idea. You know, countries with strong sovereign wealth funds definitely have something to fall back onto in difficult times. But you don't start that when you're on your knees. Uh, and that's where we are right now. You know, this is something we should have done from 2003 to 2007, the years when Trevor Manuel gave us tax cuts year after year after year. We ended into a surplus. In those years, we had to uh, shave a little bit of, of the cream off the top and put that into funds like that, um, you know, um, save for a rainy day. So the idea is great, but, I, you know, to start it right now, you can get the mechanics up and running, but there's just – and even if you get $30 billion in there from a typical a specific source, it's just not enough to actually help us through this difficult period. So, yes, again, that was mentioned, um, but not too much detail, very light on the national health insurance. Would you say then that the contention that uh, I put forward in a previous interview is the following? Okay, it's a Moody's budget. That's the first thing. But do you think mm. Moody's will sit down and say, the numbers are not pretty, this is a country that is uh, under extreme fiscal pressure at the moment, but the differences from previous years, it's been under pressure for a long time now, but this is good pressure because they're taking the pain up front or starting to take the pain, and therefore that will pave the way for a better future, whereas in the past the budgets have paved the way for a worse future, but with a short-term benefit for the, for the fiscus. Does that make sense to you? 
Yes, yes. So, you know, uh, previous budget, that's why I said uh, most of the previous budgets were um, not reform orientated. We're spending the money on the wrong things. Although you can argue now spending money on interest is also not the right policy, but at least this is trying to, you know, turn around the ship, so to speak, and then eventually spending it on, on productive assets. Um, so it is, although the numbers are looking similar or even worse, you know, the, the talk and the policy that's being implemented is is not going down uh, a socialistic route, but it is a reform route. And that's why I do think, you know, they might sit back and say it's not just about the numbers, but it is a, uh, about the intent of government in terms of what they want to do. And even before the budget, you know, uh, earlier this year, the, the Moody's um, analyst in South Africa said, well, as long as government is... Uh, uh, Continuing with the tough decisions, you know, and, and yes, let's be honest, there's been a couple of those with SAA and ESCOM and now, you know, putting the wage bill on the table. If they continue down that road and get some degree of success, um, there isn't an immediate need to downgrade uh, the credit rating. So that came from, from Moody's earlier this, this month as well. So put all of that into the pot. And I, again, I think that, you know, uh, I agree with you. It's a Moody's budget that will probably give us a little bit more time. But it doesn't take away the, the fact that we need to start to deliver on, on, on these cha challenges. Martin, thanks very much for your analysis. That's Martin Ackerman, Chief Economist and Advisory Partner at Citadel in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.